Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a video cast, a podcast, an audio book, or even if you need a studio built, Sweet Recording's a place for you. Joe and Matt are great guys. They're honest, and they know what they're doing and know what they're talking about. So reach out to them at Sweet Recording, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com, or email them at Sweet Recording. Com. Hello at SweetRecording.com. Anyway, we have a great show. I've never met my guest face-to-face. We've been interacting for a, a bunch of years, getting guests from my other podcast, Cooper Talk, which you can find at coopertalk.net. And he's a PR man and a writer, and he's been involved in music for ever since he graduated Boston College, I'm guessing. And, and his name is spelled R-E-Y. And I felt like such a jerk because I actually, for the first time, I wrote R-A-Y. And I never write, hey, Ray, because it's spelled the same. I think, I God, I, sound, I look like a dick. But I spelled it wrong. And he called me out on it, joking around. But that just goes to show, always make sure if you reach out to someone who is, you're trying to connect with in business, you get their name right. And my guest from Ray B is Ray Rodan. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing okay right now. So um, I have a dog actually chewing up my fingers, so. Don't, uh, you know, don't be, I, I try not to be distracted. Oh, it's fine. You know, I, I find it's so funny with, with, I've had people doing shows and the dogs come in and out and you see cats like sitting over them and it just gets used to it. So I want to ask you, before we talk about your career, starting a business, I know you post on Facebook some very funny interactions with people who just write the worst query letters. And now, first of all, how important to you is a really good query letter? Will that make or break a possible booking? Um, to be honest, no, because I, I know like a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who are doing this for the first time who don't have experience um, writing like to professionals. And sometimes they try to be too professional, try to sound way too big for, who, for, for what they are. I'd much rather actually have somebody who um, comes at me like honestly and just asks like, you know, hey, I want to do this. Can, can, can you set, set me up instead of somebody who's going to sit there and say, you know, I have two million followers and all this kind of stuff and, and, and make themselves, themselves sound bigger than they actually are. You know, come at me as you are and, and, and I'll treat you exactly like, you know, like, like, you know, like a, a professional. Um, it's just the people whenever you see those uh, those email interactions that I put up, it's usually from people who um, are, I mean, I like don't know the either feel a little too entitled or don't know um, what a level of uh, what the level of respect um, should be, you know, when they demand, when they say, I'm the biggest fan and I need this, I, I deserve this. I was like, no, you don't, you know, you only, des- you, don't, you don't deserve anything. You know, I was like, you will get stuff if you actually come at me in, in, in a, in a respectful way. But the minute that you show attitude and entitlement is the minute that I kind of like, I feel the need to knock you down. You know, so. Well, what's funny is I, I saw when you posted, I think someone asked you about interviewing Frank Sinatra, which just blew my yeah. mind. Like you should not be in any kind of entertainment if you don't know Frank Sinatra is dead. Yeah. Well, I actually got a, an email, uh, you know, I, I posted this on Facebook as well. Not that long ago. I work with the Cranberries and um, a very big media outlet. Everybody knows their name. I mean, they're like massive. And this was the UK office asked me for an interview with Dolores O'Riordan, you know, um, especially if you're a UK, like if you're a UK um, publication, 
like the cranberries were bigger were were just as big, I guess, in the US as they were in the UK. But still, you know, you should know that Dolores is 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 no longer with us. Um it's just, I know, it's just common okay. sense. Now now mm-hmm. explain to the listeners what exactly is Ray B PR and what makes your company different. Well, one thing that we do, like we we're we're a I, I mean I hate I hate kind of classifying us as as either a major PR firm or like a boutique PR firm or anything like that. I just think of us ourselves as um, and as corny as it sounds, we're a bunch of music lovers, you know. Um, and and our goal is to get the bands that we love um, the most press, and most exposure as possible. Um, and and it's a uh, like you know the all of our all of my staffers are writers of some sort. We've come from a journalistic background, and I think that's really important for a pub- for a publicist to know how journalists work. Because if you if you're on the other side, you know what you need, you know, and 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 so like you're going to ask for certain things like photos. You're going to ask for a photo credit. You're going to ask for an interview. You're going to ask for for music. And if you know what what people want, you're going to be able to provide it for them without them having to ask. So what makes us different that I feel is that we actually are music lovers first and foremost. You know, my my roster is heavily curated. Like I don't take a project just because they're going to throw money at me. I take a project because I we actually like the band. I've turned down projects that like are, are gonna that would have paid us thousands upon thousands of dollars per month, um, but you know if we didn't like the band, you know we there's there's we can't promote something that we don't like, you know, um, and so we all like the music that we're promoting, and and uh, and yeah, I mean it's it's it kind of shows too in our interactions with journalists. I've been told by many journalists that they love interacting with us because we treat people like people, you know, we treat them. We don't, we, we even treat like our, our, our celebrity clients like people, you know, we don't get starstruck. Um, you know, I've worked with everybody from like Britney to Backstreet Boys to Sting to like, you know, PJ Harvey, like artists like that. And, and like they, we treat them like people. You know, well, um, I, I agree with that because I know from my other interview, uh, my other show, uh, Cooper Talk, I interview a lot of celebrities. And, and if you mm-hmm. just talk to them, they're, they're, they like that. And, and, and I know what you're saying because music PR people, of the majority of all of you I've re- interacted with, are great. The, the mm-hmm. acting and Holl- the acting ones suck. And I, I have no problem. I always get my actors through actors I know who know actors. They don't even respond to me. At least, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the music PR people will send you a nice message back saying no. And I appreciate that. But like you, I reached out to you. And I still remember I reached out to you the first time. You probably don't remember when I was living in LA and you were handling Dave Wakeling and I needed mm-hmm. him to come in studio and you couldn't work it out, but you were very nice. And then I ended up moving back East and I didn't do it in a studio. And I reached out to you and we've had a good relationship. Now, now you said about music lovers. When did you start loving music? Because I always wonder, you mean, your whole life, I mean, I saw from Boston College, then you're a writer. What what caught you on music? I mean, that's, I, I was a, I was a kid. I was maybe like eight years old when I first started getting into music. Um, and it was partly because of my, my older brothers. Um, they like, you know, I have two older brothers and a sister and they all like music. That's very different than mine. You know, um, my, my oldest brother was a disco guy. You know, my other brother is, you know, listen to what we consider now yacht rock. Um, my sister was completely in pop. You know, um, 
I kind of rebelled against that. They like, you know, I wanted to be like, I knew that music was very important to all of them. And when I was like maybe seven or eight years old, um, I, there was a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a grocery store. I mean, uh, like it's a national chains, pa- chain pathmark, you know? Um, and, and, uh, and they had a small like vinyl rack and I had an allowance every week and I would actually walk over to pathmark and I would look at the, the, the vinyl that they had. And I still remember the stickers. Each, each album was $2 and 77 cents. You know, I would go there and just buy albums that I liked the covers of, um, and and I that's how I, I you know I was maybe eight years old when I saw Nevermind the like um like you know the Sex Pistols Nevermind the Bullocks I saw that cover and I bought it you know um and again that came out like in 1977 so I was like like maybe eight years old um I bought like Spring Session M by by uh, the Missing Persons uh, because I liked the cover um and I got exposed to a lot of music because of that you know and me and back then it was like all about um new wave in the punk world like you know where the covers were really super important um and 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 i would come home with maybe three or four vinyl from uh from from pathmark and listen to them um and that's what started me on 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 that road because i wanted to listen to music that i didn't think was corny which was like you know my oldest brother's disco stuff you know my i thought like my brother listening to stuff like jackson brown and james taylor was too you know boring you know, um, and my sister's like, you know, sister listening to like Debbie Gibson and things like that um, just didn't work, didn't do it for me. So, um, so yeah, so I, so I used to go to record stores um, from, from, from even like, you know, seven, eight years old just to buy records like crazy. Um, and that started it. Now, when did you decide that you wanted to write about it? Cause I know you, I think you were a journalism major at Boston college. Actually I was creative writing. Okay, so- I was creative writing and here's the interesting spin on that. I was I had a, a minor in psychology, but a concentration in parapsychology. So I was like studying English, like you know, literature and everything, while investigating the haunted houses. You know, so, but um, but yeah, like you know, the creative writing side, like you know, like the writing side of me, like started in high school. I used to write for the my high school newspaper. Um, terrible, like I I saw I dug up some of the reviews back then that I wrote, and they were terrible. But you know. Um, but you know, like it's it it, it kind of sparked something in me that I like I kind of wanted to 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 like tell people about the music that I was doing, you know. So so I was like I started writing early high school. You know? so, so when you when you graduate, then I mean I want to find out how you end up starting a business that has people. You graduate and you start freelance writing, or I mean, how is it for a to break into and back then it was probably different because now there's so many yeah. internet sites that are and you know half of them are such bullshit that have clickbait you know it's like <laughs> anything if it's politics if it's sports there i go and i see these headlines and i go this is nothing like oh you know he was so pissed off and you're like oh mm-hmm. and then it's like oh someone didn't bring him soup but mm-hmm. what um when did you start really uh chasing that dream of being a music writer well, I was, I think it was partly, it was, it was, it started in college actually, because I was, uh, I was like, you know, I was, I like, I wasn't the music editor for the college paper, but I was like the main staff writer, the music staff writer. So I'd be, I would review like three or four records a week. I was, and I started interviewing people senior year and I just did it as a hobby. I just did it for fun, you know, just because I, I, I liked being involved in, in a lot of things. And so like I was a DJ at the radio station at, at, at Boston College, but I was also, uh, but like, you know, and also I also wrote, so I liked being 
I mean, it sounds kind of um, egotistical. I don't mean it that way, but I like being visible. You know, I like being 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 the person to kind of help um, turn people onto things. You know, um, my radio station was called No Commercial Potential, and I would actually play music that no one ever really listened to. You know, um, and uh, and like with the, with the record reviews that I was writing was all about the bands that no one ever really listened to in Boston. You know, um, and and so like that whole that 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 need to kind of tell people about what I was listening to was what turned me on to being, uh, you know, being a journalist. Like when I graduated college, I started a magazine in Boston. I was one of the five people who started this big magazine that only ended a few years ago um, called the Improper Bostonian, you know, bi-weekly newspaper. We started with 80,000 circulation right out of the bat. So it was huge. And, and like, you know, me being the music editor, I put like, I was putting stuff like, like Nirvana before smells like teen spirit hit, you know, um, EMF was, was like, you know, was, uh, was, was, the um, like a guilty pleasure of mine, but like, you know, he's doing stories on them and like on Sinead O'Connor. And, and this was even before Lion of the Cobra came out. I discovered Sinead O'Connor on a soundtrack that the edge did the edge from, from you too called captive. And I thought she was absolutely brilliant. And I actually tracked her down and did an interview with her. You know, and this and before Mandinka, you know, before all that stuff. Um, and 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 at that same time, I was I was I was creating fanzines as well, you know, because fanzines were such a big thing back then. I think I started maybe about like seven or eight different fanzines um, and wrote and started writing freelancing for 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 publications in California, Louisiana, like Minneapolis, all over the place. So um, I started making a name for myself in that world. Like, you know, people started seeing my name. Um, in different magazines how would so, you how would you get those gigs like you said louisiana would you would you cold call them because you know it's it wasn't the internet was around but i mean it was i mean it wasn't it's not it's not like now like you yeah. could just sit there and say i mean how did you get those jobs because you know it's it's pretty i mean it's very entrepreneurial somewhat i mean you know i hate to say mm -hmm. that word because a lot of times people use words solopreneur and like the kid down the street with a lemonade stand says he's a solopreneur i'm like no you're a kid selling <laughs> lemonade but how did how did you get those jobs because that always fascinates me because i know they used to have books of like places you could send your mm -hmm. stuff to but how did you get those jobs well i there's there's a um like a, a fanzine store in uh in, in in the village in greenwich village called See Here. It was on St. Mark Street. And I would go there at least once or twice a week and 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 take 20 bucks with me and and go in there and just buy fanzines. I would I, I would find the ones that, that that kind of aligned with the kind of music that I listened to. And 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 I would actually just sit there and read them and take them home and and get to know them well enough. So therefore when I when I wrote my cover letter, my pitch letter, I like I would sit there and say, oh yeah, you wrote about, you know, like band x and and i love that band this is what i would have said and i would actually do an alternate record review you know um but like after i started getting my name like you know getting more and more press i would actually send my clips i'd, I'd xerox the, the articles that i'd write and send them like you know the samples and say hey i want to write for you and i would say i mean i would say probably nine times out of ten i would end up with a writing gig like at one point i was writing for probably about 30 different fanzines across the country you know um and just getting my stuff out, stuff out there. So, but yeah, it was it was tough. It was a lot of research. It was a lot, a lot of research. You know, it's funny you look back like how much it would have been so great if the internet was around. When I when I you know when I used to get stand up comedy gigs, and you know, as a in the press, we'd have to send a tape and mm -hmm. a press thing, and it cost you like five bucks or six bucks for your tape, and then 
And then, you know, the half the club owners were just getting the tape and just saying, oh, yeah, we'll put that with uh, the other 800 we're getting. So you're writing. Now, when do you start branching up more into bigger writing jobs? That was actually around 94, 95. Um, I started writing for a number of newspapers. Like, you know, like I, like I started, I graduated up from um, from the fanzines into like the newspapers. I mean, I did have that gig with the Improper Bostonian. Um, that was a proper, that was was considered a proper newspaper. A proper, like it was, it came out every two weeks, bi-weekly. Um, and again, it was like 80,000 circulation from the get-go. And, uh, but I started writing for the bigger, bigger things. Like, you know, there's a magazine called Mean Street, which was one of the big, one of the biggest LA based um, music magazines. Um, and, uh, and that actually opened so many doors, but, you know, um, living in Boston and being a freelancer essentially, and, and making about no more than maybe $12,000, $13,000 a year, um, didn't quite cut it, you know? So I kind of got tired of living. Uh, I mean, I was, since I was a, like a journalist at like in Boston, I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of my fields, my meals for free. Cause I was also doing record, like I was doing restaurant reviews too. So, um, so I was coasting on a lot of free free meals and and everything, but I realized it was time for me to kind of get a real job, and I moved down to New York and and tried my hand at getting into uh, publicity because being a journalist, you talk to 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 publicists all the time, and and I was and, and one thing that I try to do like in everything essentially is try to make is try to figure out how things work, like you know what makes things tick, and knowing how uh, how press releases releases were written how. Uh, how publicists would call me and pitch me. I kind of had a, a, a good tool set of what it took to be a publicist. So um, when I decided to to uh, to move back, move down to New York, I, I basically um, started applying for like PR jobs. And how, how do you luckily with? I was going to say, how do you apply for a PR job when you have no? I mean, you have the journalist part, but it's like the rest of your resume. I mean, did they find that intriguing? I mean, you must have got a lot of questions like, well, well, why are you, you know, wanting to become a PR? I mean, how did that whole looking for the jobs in the beginning? How was the whole process? Well, part of the good thing about it, like, too, was that because I was writing for a ton of different publications, I was writing so many different articles, I got to know a lot of publicists, you know. So um, when it was time for me to find a job, I just called a few of my publicist friends and said, hey, I'm moving down to New York. Um, like, you know, do you know of anything open? And within the music industry, I would say, like, you know, nine times out of 10, jobs aren't advertised. It's by word of mouth. You know, you find out about jobs because somebody's looking for something or they they know they want to create a, a position for you. And when I moved out to New, to, uh, to New Jersey, New York, um, I actually had gotten word from a friend of mine that, he was working at this, I mean, this, this, uh, soundtrack label called Milan records. And he like, you know, he needed an assistant. Um, they didn't really like, weren't paying that much money, but he want like, you know, he thought it'd be a good way for me to, to get in because we were good friends. Um, and he wanted to help me. So, so like that job turned into like an internship that turned into a, almost a full-time job within three weeks. You know, the, the president of the company saw what I was doing. And how I was how I was actually doing even more work than the publicist that was there, my friend. Um, the the president offered me a job, and that was a snowball to start my whole entire career. I mean, it was crazy how like it was in in three years. Or no, I think it was like in two years. I had six different jobs, um, but it was each time it was it was a step up. You know, I was getting I was getting um, 
poached from one company to the next because people started seeing me all over the place. Like I kept myself very visible. Like I was, as I was saying earlier, um, I like, you know, I liked being like, you know, being known, like, you know, being like, you know, being at the forefront of a lot of things. And so um, knowing that I was in the music industry, I had to, I had to make my, put myself out there, go to concerts, meet people, you know, like go to any, any event that I knew of um, that, like, you know, I could actually, that could, that could really, that could really help me in, in, in my pursuit of being a publicist, you know, and, and it was crazy. I mean, within, like, again, within, within three, within two years, I went from um, intern to assistant to um, publicist. Like, you know, my first real job was, was, was being publicist for Kirstie McCall, you know, um, and publicist for the Go-Go's, you know, I was at IRS records for a little while. And, and I was there for three months before, before I was hired by Mammoth Records to open up their New York publicity office with, along with Keith Hagen, who was, was the publicist at the time. And then I got the job being at Jive Records soon after. Um, and, and I was like Britney Spears' publicist for her first album, you know, and it was, and like, it was crazy, you know, like it, it stuff like that doesn't happen, but it was like, you know, I made it like, I kind of. I kind of put myself out there and I like I was driven to really to really do it. And and that's how, like, you know, like I end up where I am now. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you're working for all these companies and you're working with great artists. You're always you're a shaker and a mover. You're moving up the ladder, you know. And, and so eventually, did you just say, all right, it's time for me to start my own business? Because that must have been a hard jump because you know you're doing well and you you probably knew in the back of your mind a lot of people know me I'm, i'll be fine doing my own own business but it must have been scary because you're used to probably a good paycheck and you were mm-hmm. with big companies and now what was it that made you decide to say i'm going to start raby mm-hmm. well i mean one of the things that i always do is like you know like i i always set um attainable goals for myself you know one of the things when i first got news like when i first started being a journalist, I, you know, my goal was to like, you know, to become an editor or actually it was just to write for a national magazine. And I got that, you know, and after that, I, I wanted to be an editor of a publication. And I got that, you know, and it was just like little steps. And then when, like, when I decided I wanted to be a publicist, my first goal was I wanted to work, I, I wanted to get a permanent job as a publicist, got that, you know, when I got that, I then wanted to, um, what, like, you know, work with artists that I, an artist that I love. Um, and then when, when I got the, the IRS job, I was working with like Kirstie, as I mentioned, Kirstie McCall, like Stan Ridgeway, you know, like the English beat, all those kind of things. And then after that, I was like, I want to, I want a gold record. I want I want a plaque, you know? Um, and I, I moved over to Jive Records and, and like that afforded me, I had like plaques from Backstreet Boys, from a tribe called Quest, from R. Kelly. Um, and then after that, I wanted to be the head of a, like a head of a, like no, of, the, of the department. And um, that was something that came very soon after when I like when I joined an independent PR firm, and I came in as manager of PR. You know, like I came in as a as 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 like just like you know I guess mid level position mid level position, um, and working at at KSA PR, and that was like that was a, that was a, a company that was um, underwritten by Sting. You know, within two months, two three months, I had become a a, a VP and. Um, and I was like bringing in business. I was bringing a ton of business and I was working like Charlotte Church, Macy Gray, no doubt, um, Duran Duran, stuff like that. And, and when I saw how, how to do PR, like how, how independent PR people did it um, and how the company worked, 
I decided like, you know, I, I, I know what's wrong with what they're doing. I want to make it better. So I just, that's, and I decided to start my own firm, you know, because I wanted to do PR better. I wanted to get a firm where there wasn't priorities. That's one of the things I hated about record labels and, and things like that. Whoever, whoever was selling more records or whoever paid more got priority, you know? Um, and, and like when I worked at Jive Records, I was working Britney, but yet I was also working, um, buddy guy who was getting like the short end of the stick because he didn't sell records, but he was a legend in my eyes. He was like a blues legend. You should be getting a lot more attention than, than Brit Leash was getting, you know? And, and so like, I wanted to make sure that when I started my own, my own company, there was no priority level. You know, the, the biggest artist got the same attention as a smallest artist. And, and, and I, like, you know, and that's, that was the, uh, the basis of me jumping on my own. Um, and because I, again, because I knew a lot of people, I got lucky in that when I started my PR firm, I had business almost immediately. You know, it wasn't, it was scary, but it wasn't that scary. Like who were some, did the clients just jump from other companies? Like who were some of your, like, I think you opened in 2004, you went on your own. Mm -hmm. Who were, who were some of the clients that came with you then? And was it because did you, did you have to solicit them or did they say, Hey, we really like Ray. He's doing his own thing. He's always supported us. We're going to go support him. I mean, how was that yeah. to get clients? There was no, like you got no non-exclusive bullshit like they do now. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't say, oh, well, you can't, if you leave, you can't take any of your clients. I mean, how does that work? Well, it, I, I, I don't like poaching. I don't like take, taking from other people. Um, and that's one of the things I never do is like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other PR firms that try to steal my clients. It's just happened just actually like two weeks ago. Sorry, it was my just on. But like, you know, one of the things I did when I started my own firm was I was going to talk to managers to see if they had any artists that needed, need, like, you know, needed PR work. Um, and I didn't want to take somebody who was already signed to another PR firm. And, and one of the first artists that I had was a band called Lost City Angels. They were a Boston band, a punk band, um, who I didn't know, but their manager was somebody who I worked with. I was a publicist for Dresden Dolls, you know, and his manager, like their manager was this guy, David Basin, who I was friends with. And I said to him, I was like, listen, I was like, I'm starting my PR firm. I really need, I really need work. Do you have any, any bands that you want to send me? And one of the things that I love doing is working with new bands because I love getting them from zero to 60, you know, and, and, and really making a name for themselves. And, uh, and like, so like Lost City Angels was a band who didn't really have anything going for them in Boston. And, and so like, they were my first client. And, and I, I basically took them um, and, and, and blew them, like, you know, blew them up in, in a way that they were getting press in, in Rolling Stone and Spin within like three months, you know. And when people started seeing that happen, they started hiring me. One of my other big bands, like one of the bands, big bands that I ended up getting very soon because of it was Less Than Jake, you know. And, and they were a band at that point, um, like had, had lost a, a lot of momentum, a lot of steam. And they wanted to figure out how to how to shake things up and how to become a like you know become a viable band again when ska was no longer that viable, and and uh, and and I kind of took them back to the forefront of everything, you know, and and everything snowballed from there. You know, you just like I started small and then things started to come in. English beat came soon after. You know, it just just things like that just started to really really happen. And then now, I mean, like. I don't even I don't even have to look for projects anymore. Like you know, I I, I get solicited from from uh, from different managers, different record companies, and, and different bands. They come to me asking if I'd be interested in working with them. 
And, and that's like a really, like, it's such a great thing to be able to sit there, like, you know, not have to like hustle anymore, you know? Now, when did you sit there and decide to start hiring people? Because that's also a big thing where if you <laughs> hire too early, you're like, and then you go, oh, it's always a thing where, you know, you have to be really, a lot of people fake it till they make it. They want to look bigger. They want to look, oh, look, I'm, yeah. I got this office. I got this. When did you start to know that, okay, I, I got to get some other agents in here. I mean, when did that all start? Because you have five now, right? Or four. There's six of us, six, I, I think, think. On the website. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, tell me yeah. about that. Well, I mean, it was, it, it, I started small. I've always, I always like to stay small. You know, um, look, I hired my first assistant after the first maybe two years. You know, I did everything on my own, um, partly because I didn't want to bring somebody in. And if, let's say, it, for some reason it didn't work, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to lay anybody off. I didn't want to have to fire anybody, you know? So, um, so I did everything myself and tried to figure out, try to like, cause I've never been in business for my, I'm not a good businessman. I'll be honest with you. Like the back office stuff I don't get, I'm the creative guy, you know? So running a business on my own was scary because I don't know finance, finance or anything like that. So I had to figure it out and I wanted to figure it out on my own before I hired anybody and, and put them at risk, you know? So, um, when I felt it was time for me to, to really like, you know, hire somebody, um, it, it, it was, it was out of necessity, but also out of like, you know, I thought I was ready because a lot of bands started coming to me and, and I had at that point, like after two years, I probably had about 10, 15 artists and, you, and one person can't handle 10 to 15 artists. You know, one person shouldn't handle more than five artists because you, you need like, you know, every, every band deserves time, deserves attention. Um, and, uh, and hiring that first person was scary as hell, you know, um, and, and, but like it, 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 it everything just fell into place. I, again, I like, I've been lucky, you know, like every, like every, all the, all the business stuff started to become um, like a habit. And, and then I wanted to make sure that we like, you know, I, I would like, one of my things was I never wanted to lay anybody off. I never wanted to get to the point in which we didn't have enough money that I couldn't pay my staffers. And, and so like, that's why I've always kept, kept it small. Like, you know, five or six people is big for me right now, but, um, but like, it's still, it's still manageable, you know? Um, and, and, and like, you know, and, and again, like, you know, after being, been, being in business for what, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how many years I've been in business, but um, it's like, no, I've never laid anybody off because of finances or anything like that. And, and that's like a, a that's like a huge thing when you're in independent PR firm, everyone goes through those, those uh, like, you know, like, you know, that process of, of, of growing and then having to shrink. And, and I've never had to shrink. Now, just you know? t- tell me what 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 is the day of a publicist like? Not you because you're the president, but like like so anyone who wants to look into being publicist, you know, publicity in the music. What is the day like? Is it a lot of press releases? Is it is it because you said you don't you don't have people? You're getting business. People are coming to you, so you don't have that aspect of saying, "Okay, go find business." I'm sure people want to though. But what is the day of like one of your publicists? What do they do? Mm-hmm. Well, the good thing is like I, like even though I'm president. I'm still in the trenches, you know, so I know what it's like still being a publicist and, and, and like, I'm not like, I'm not one of those, those presidents to just sit back and let things work. I'm like hustling all day along alongside my publicists, like my, my staffers. Um, but one thing that we, you know, it's the volume of emails we get from people wanting interviews, wanting records, like the, the morning is spent responding to those emails. And um, one of the things I, I tell my staffers to do is treat every email as, as if it's important, 
don't if, if even if it's a fanzine or like whether it's a fanzine or rolling stone treat it with the same amount of of, of reverence you know because these are people that are these are press people who are good like are, you're going to want on your side and and I and I, I kind of stress to be friends with your, your the, these journalists, like you know, get to know them really well, so so it could be an easy, like you know, easy relationship and easy easy communication, and and so like yeah, our day is spent responding to those emails and 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 really kind of making sure that all the artists are taken care of, you know, um, and and that's you know like that's like you know responding to emails is is almost like eighty percent of the job. Writing press releases, like you know, we can we're at the point in which. Since we're all journalists, we can whip out a press release, a really well done press release. Because um, we write our press releases like features. We don't write them like regular press releases. And and so like we'll we'll do a press release and we'll send it around for everybody to edit. So you know the normal day is checking email, writing the press release, sending it around to your stat to your your fellow teammates um, for edits, uh, communicating with the artists. You know we're we have a we have direct communication with all of our artists. You know, like I'm, I'm talking to like Steve Kilby of the church through email, all the guys from Bauhaus and Love and Rockets, we're, we'll, we're calling or texting each other just, just so at least I can, we can, I like, you know, I can keep on top of them and my staff can keep on top of them. So it's just a lot of communication, emails, phone calls, you know, writing. So yeah, it's a lot of that. And then when you have a band in town, like I had the church in town in, in New York, the, like yesterday, doing interviews all day, running around New York, like Manhattan with them. Um, and uh, and getting them ready for for like either TV or prepping them before their interviews and saying you know this is who this journalist is this is who they write for this is what the step like you no know, the topic of the article the the interview is and and making sure they're ready because nothing is worse than having an artist look unprepared for an interview or having them go in and and, and be boring or 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 not engaging you know because. You know that does them no 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 favors, and in a in and in a in a um in a weird way, it does me no favors either. If my if my artists don't look good, my company doesn't look good. You know, so I want to make sure every everybody is is happy, everybody looks great. So, how important to you? Because in in the business world, down like I'm in South Jersey, networking is very important for you. How how important has networking been to you? Because it seems, as you said, a lot of people communicate about each other, and I, I guess you know. In the world, I don't know if you know if you have publicists you don't like. I know there's someone you don't like, and uh, but I but you know there's publicists you don't get along with. But how important is networking in your area of work? Incredibly, incredibly important. You know, um, because a lot because because the industry is really small. A lot of people don't really don't really think about that, but the, the, especially within the publicity and promotion world, everybody knows everybody. You know, and and and. And to know, and and the great thing about networking, I mean, is like I, I hate I, I hate schmoozing, like more, like you know, like more than anything, um, and like you know, and and I don't I don't like like I don't like you know I schmoozed when I was younger to to really kind of get in people's faces, but now it's like you know now it's it's all about like knowing who everybody is because a lot of a lot of business within the music industry is word of mouth, you know. Um, you know, one of the things that people do is like, you know, when they're when they're looking for a publicist, they'll ask other managers and and other other bands. You know, who do you think are are good publicists? Who do you like? You know, who would you recommend? And if you're not, if your if your company is not at the tip of their tongue, you're probably not going to get business. You know, and and like networking is is it, it, like it's not. I wouldn't even call it networking as much as actually being friends with people and being and having like you know and and making sure that 
that like you know that that you are um in, like you know that that your place in like in 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 everyone's like you no know, rolodex is is at the is at the front um and it sounds a little self-serving but it's not because like one thing i like to do is i like to be like i like to be friends with with like as mentioned i like to be friends with journalists and, and, and managers and stuff and whenever i whenever i have a manager coming to town even if they're here in town with working on a band that i'm not working on we'll set up like you know we'll go out for drinks and we'll hang out you know we won't talk business we'll just hang out and and like you know and that's i think that's so important being able to sit there and, and meet up with people and not talk business is so important um because if they, the minute that they know that you're pitching them you just become like you know you just become another salesman you know and you don't want to be a salesman you want to be somebody that people think about and think about fondly you know and and uh and so like you know yeah like you know it's knowing everybody and having everybody know who you are is is really important in the music industry especially in the back offices now have you ever if a client leaves you and then goes to someone else is it does it hurt you like does if you help someone is it is it like is it like if you broke up with someone i mean what's the feeling when a client leaves you when you know you're a nice guy you know you do the job you know you you give a shit about them and then they mm -hmm. sit there is it sometimes I mean, have you had a client leave where you went what the you know what's going on here yeah actually it actually happened not that long ago <laughs> um and be and like it 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 sometimes if, especially if you're really close i mean i get really close to my artists um when that happens it it, it can be it, it can feel like a personal slight, you know? Um, and the way that this, I won't mention the band, but they're a big band. Um, well, a big-ish band, I should say. They, like, I'm really good friends with the lead singer. I've been with the band for maybe three or four records. Um, and the way that it happened was this publicist from another PR firm wanted that, like, that band on her roster, you know? And, and so she started hanging out with the lead singer feeding him all this information like, Oh, I can get you this. I can get you that. I can get you, I can get you on late night TV. I can get you in Rolling Stone, even though I've already done that for this artist. And, um, and he, and, and she basically poisoned this artist in a lot of ways, like, you know, with, with things that she couldn't, she couldn't deliver, you know? And, and when he, when I found out that they were moving to this other PR firm, it, it, it hurt. It did hurt. I will say that. Um, and, and, but like, I know that it wasn't, um, a slight against me. And, and, and so like, I still help that artist, you know, like whenever somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I want an interview with this, with band X, um, I'll, I'll, I'll forward that email to their new publicist and new and, and their manager, because I know that every, because I know that the industry is really small and I know that everybody knows each other. And if, and if, and, and if I make my hurt or my, like, you know, my negative feelings, visible and out like you know and i and i let other people know about it it reflects badly on me that i become a petty person you know so i take it like you know i took it on like you know i took it on my chin and and, and was professional about it um and and like you know and i'll help them regardless if it's if they're on my roster or not and 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 sure but there there have been times in which there was a band that i worked with that um I couldn't do anything more for, you know, I had gotten them late night TV. I got them Rolling Stone. I gotten them everything that they ever, they ever wanted. Um, and, and I just felt like I'd been with them for 11 years and it, it almost felt like they would maybe, maybe another publicist could come in and, and take them over and, and breathe some new, new, like no fresh air into the, into the campaign to help the band 
like if not get bigger, maybe move into another another phase. So so like it 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 doesn't always have to be a negative thing, you know. Like I like whenever a band leaves, it could be it could be time. You know, there are times in which I felt like a move was was necessary. You know, because um, for me, it's not about my ego as much as it is about watching the band get bigger. You know, if I feel like they're going, they're making a backward step and and like they're going to a PR firm that can't do anything for them. Sure, I'll I'll uh, I'll step in and I'll say, like, you know, yeah, like, you know, like you you, you might be making a, like a, a like, you know, a bad move here. Think about it, you know. Um, but if I feel like, you know, it's time for them to move on or maybe that PR firm could be better suited, like, you know, sure, go for it. You know, take like take it now. You know, it's funny. This is what intrigues me. I wanted to ask you this. I'm glad I have you here. Is I look at your roster, and you know, you have all these bands. You know, Blitzvega, all these different bands, and then all of a sudden, Engelbert Humperdinck. How did that come about? Because like I'm like I'm like it's just when you see your roster, you know, it's not like when Tom Jones did the Prince song. You know what I mean? It's like how did Engelbert come out? Because the guy's a legend, but he's like 80, I think, and and he's like 87. Yeah, he's he turns 87 May 2nd, and he's, he like came out. You posted he came out with a new a new single. He's 87. I mean, I'm I'm 58 and I can't do anything. How did he end up on your on your um on your radar? And is it different? promoting someone who's that age because it's probably a completely different magazine set how i mean how does that work um it's well i mean engelbert came to me because like the um because like i have this i had this goal like i have like it's funny because like one of my friends he's the editor of postpunk.com like a really big goth publication he he feels that i play pokemon with artists because when he looks at my roster he sees all these artists that he knows that i'm a huge fan of like Bauhaus, like Love and Rockets, like the Cranberries, you know, like, um, you know, those like Sisters of Mercy, bands like of that ilk. And, and, but he also sees stuff like, you know, like, as you mentioned, Frank Sinatra and Matt King Cole and, and Gloria Gaynor and Engelbert. Um, there's two things that often work that, that happen in my mind um, in which I want to work with all the bands that I absolutely love, that I grew up with, that I, I, I think I could actually make a change for, like, I can get them out of that retro mindset and make them viable again, you know, make them important again. But there's also a part of me that wants to make my parents proud. You know, I grew up, my parents grew up, I grew up with my parents playing Engelbert Humperdinck, you know, like crazy growing up, like listening to Frank Sinatra records. Nat King Cole was always on, on, on the turntable, um, like constantly, like all those bands and, and like it, 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 it I want to make sure that those artists, don't go away, you know, that they, that, that they, people don't just relegate them to, to like old timers kind of music. And I feel like if I can actually get somebody who listens to say um, Pansy Division to write about Engelbert Humperdinck, you know, they might be exposing their audience, like, you know, their reading audience to an artist who their parents listened to, but didn't even know that he's still around, you know? Um, and I love that. I love being able to cross pollinate and really, and really get artists in, you know, get these old timers, if you want to call them that, um, like, you know, a fresh new take in life. You know, um, one of the things I thought was really, really great last night was um, when I was with at the church concert, I went backstage and I was talking to Steve Kilby, you know, and he, when they, they, they came to me randomly, I've never worked with them in the past. I love the church. You know, I've worked with Steve Kilby on a solo record a long time ago, but he didn't remember that. That was like 20 years ago when I worked with him. And 
he one of the things that he said to me um, when when I when he when he was thinking of hiring me was, I'm tired of doing of, of being known as an '80s band. I'm tired of of Under the Milky Way being our signature song. Like I want to like I want to be I want to be current again. I want to be I want to be refreshed. And I like you know and, I, and that that's something that I do. You know I want and I said to him I was like listen I want it like that's what I want to do for you. Last night at the concert. Um, he pulled me aside from everybody else. And he's like, he's like, listen, he's like, thank you for saving me. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, he's like, you know, he's like the press that you got, we've gotten more press on this record than we have since priest equals aura, you know? And, and he's like, and you're, you're, and a lot of these interviews are young people are, 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 are people in their twenties who, who, who have heard us in grocery stores and that kind of thing. And he's like, you're making us, making us new again. And he's like, we, I, I thought this might be our last record. This might be our last tour, but all the press that you got me, like this, this gives me new life. I want to put out another record. I want to tour again. And, and that made me so happy. Like literally like that floored me that somebody like the church, especially Steve Kilby would, would, would even like feel that for one thing, you know, but, um, but also like, you know, like the fact that I actually was, was instrumental for him to continue on was incredible was absolutely incredible. Engelbert, same thing. Like, you know, when I talked to Engelbert, um, the first time I worked with him, the first record I worked with him, I've been with him now for like eight or nine years. Um, I got him like, 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 what do you call it? Um, Inside Edition on CBS. He's never had that, you know? He's never, like, he's he's never had, um, we did like Sirius XM and a bunch of shows on there. Like, you know, he's never done anything like that. And I was having people who were like 20 years old come to him and say, like, you know, listen, my grandparents love you. Um, what, like, you know, like, and and I want to, I want to write about you. And 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 he loved being able to to relate to to a, a whole new audience, a much younger audience. And and like that's like that's that's a really great thing to be able to do, you know. And that's what I want to do. I mean, bring, like bridge the old and the new, and just like refresh people's careers if they need it. You know, it's such a great feeling. To know that you know Gloria Gaynor just got People Magazine to talk about like her her divorce that she has not talked about in years, you know, um, like you know I I was working with oh like for, I can't remember who it is, um, but like people like I I help artists like talk about things that they love like you know when I worked with the Rens um, and uh, and Eon Station you know and and like Kevin like lead singer has a son who's autistic you know and. He, when he told me that, I said to him, "Like, do you want to talk about that?" I mean, there's a lot of parents out there who, who, who have kids who are autistic, who are, are autistic, and like, and you being a band that that people, especially in New Jersey, New York, and like this whole entire East Coast, like, love the Rens. I was like, this could be really important, like you know, for you to talk about. And he loved it. I got him. We got him on the cover of I think the publication was Autism, Autism Magazine, magazine, and he talked about his his kid, you know. And he's like, this is like this is what I'd love to do. This is what I want to do. You know, and and he's like, I want to help people, and 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 he got he he was exposed to a whole new audience of people. He now has fans who have never heard of the Reds or or Eon Station because they read an article in 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 autism.com or and 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 saw read that magazine magazine in autism autism magazine. You know, it's it's such a great feeling to be able to refresh artists' careers. It's awesome. Now, how did you come up with Ray B? Because it's Ray, and and it's not your last name's Rodan. It's not like a B. Like, and I know you have the B. Are you a fan of bees, or how did you come up with Ray B? My nickname growing up was Ray B. 
Okay. You know, uh, my friends, like, you know, like I grew up in, in, in a, in a group of kids. We were there, like my neighborhood, Irish Catholic neighborhood. So of course, like every family had like six kids and we all hung out with each other. And, uh, for some reason, like, you know, Raby was always one of, was, was my nickname. And, uh, and it, and it's just stuck, you know, um, I had a magazine, the B thing. I never made the connection with the B thing until I started a fanzine, um, in Boston called honey. And, I like, you know, and, and, and we decided we're going to call it honey. Cause we wanted something that was going to attract people, honey attracts, you know? And I was like, that's perfect. And so we, we, uh, like we had the, the, the um, a bee as the logo and I drew the bee and I was like, that's perfect. I was like, you know, that's my nickname, Ray B. And like, you know, and so Ray B became like, you know, something that, that uh, I've, I've always wanted to, um, create a company for myself called Ray B, you know, um, even before I started the company, even before I even had thought about going into business myself, one of my goals was um, to create a company called Another Raby Production. And I have that, like, you know, I have that trademarked and and an LLC as Another Raby Production Incorporated, you know, LLC. So it's like, it's it's something, it's one of those small goals that I was talking about. I wanted to have that. So the the Raby thing is from from childhood. You know, my that's, nickname. that's awesome. I have one final question. Where do you see Ray B in the next five years? I know that's a hard question, but where would you like, not where did you, not what you, but what do you envision that would like to happen? Because you're someone who writes, has written these goals. Is there any goals that you're sitting there going, all right, man, I haven't attained this yet, but it's, it's in my book. I'm going to get this. <laughs> well, you know, like, it's funny because like, you know, for me, my, I always set my goals of being like, you know, five-year increments like these little goals, like I always wanted. And, and, uh, and, and the goal of starting my own company was my last big goal that I had, you know? Um, well, like I want, I mean, when I started the company, let me, let me kind of go backwards a little bit. When I started my company, like, like I, I kind of set that goal and I was like, this, this is, this is good. This is it. Um, but I always had in the back of my mind, like, you know, I wanted to go back to writing. I wanted to be, I have not, I have two novels already written. I have short stories. I have all this stuff. I have, I have a screenplay all, all geared up, ready to go, but I haven't been able to push that button yet. You know, um, people are begging me to write a book about those conversations you had mentioned earlier with the, that I post on Facebook, um, that, uh, like, you know, that about with my interactions with journalists and, and, and producers and stuff. And, uh, people want me to come out with a book of, of a, uh, like, you know, uh, that compiles all those conversations. I've been offered like, you know, book deals and things like that, but I've turned them all down because it's not time yet. But in five years, I want this company to continue going. And I want like, you know, we're now branching out to books. We're doing, you know, we're doing books and things like that. We've done books before, but I want to kind of start doing different things other than just um, music. You know, we're doing the David Bowie convention that's happening here in, in New York um, in June. And, and like, you know, we've done conventions before, but I want to branch into that. You know, I want to start, I start, want to start creating um, Raby to be not just a destination for music, but a destination for ent entertainment of, of all sorts. And, and then when I feel like that's kind of ready, like, you know, kind of like existing on its own, maybe I'll start my book career. You know, maybe I'll start to put like, get, like, I'll, I'll get a book deal and, and, uh, and put out my first book and, and to see where that takes me, you know? Well, that's awesome. I want to thank you for uh, coming on today. It's so interesting. I love music and it's always good to talk to someone who's in the industry. And uh, now how can people get in touch with you? The, the website is reybee.com, right? Correct. And now if, Correct. If, if someone knows an artist or someone, a client that may want to work with you, you may know, Does that? do you have an email? 
for the company? Yeah, you can, they can always send it to info, I-N-F-O, at rabie.com. I mean, that goes directly to me. Um, and that's where I like to take, like, you know, a lot of uh, new business, um, like, you know, inquiries and things like that. Because I because I don't want that to get mixed in with my other emails because, like, I get about 2,500 emails a night. No, like, no, no exaggeration. And I want to I want to make sure that artists and 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 potential clients um, have a different avenue to get to me, you know, because because like I treat, I like I don't care if you, if you've never had a record before, I don't care if if uh, if you've never had an ounce of press um, or anything like that. Like you know, I'm in it for the music. I'm in it like you know, if if there's something that if if you have a song that I absolutely I that makes me stop and listen to it, and like it makes me stop everything. Um, like I'm going to pay attention and that's happened. I mean, there's an artist that we have named good bison who put out a record. No one ever heard it, but like, you know, didn't really like, you know, just kind of emailed me randomly at info, um, listened to it and it floored me, completely floored me. And I, and I, and I, and I signed him up immediately. And, you know, now he's getting pressed and like under the radar, you know, and, and the big takeover and stuff like that. And, and he's, and this is a guy who's, who's never, never really gotten any press whatsoever. And, and like, and that's the thing. Like, I want to make sure that, like, you know, an artist gets heard. If it's if it's an artist that really, really tickles me and tickles at least one of one of my other staff members, you know, I want to hear it. You know, and 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 like, you know, yeah, the info at rabies is, is that direct route to, to for for me to to know this is this is something that I should take take check out and listen to. That's awesome, man. So people actually go to rabies.com, check out all his artists, and go listen to his artists. And maybe buy their albums. That would be good. And people, uh, you can find past episodes of The Coop Tank at thecooptank.podbean.com. You can email me, thecooptank at yahoo.com. Uh, my other podcast is Cooper Talk. You can find it at coopertalk.net. And my local TV show, where I interview very established uh, Philadelphia area comedians and musicians can be found at rvntelevision.com. Just click on Cooper Talk Local. Also, if you have a need to be interviewed, myself and Joe, my producer, which I want to thank Joe again, Jamie, best producer around, such a great guy. Uh, check out their website, sweetrecording.com. But if you need some interviews done, we'll do it for you. We can come out. We have an office set up where we can do a visual video and you can put it on your website. And one final thing. April 29th, I'll be opening for my friend Joe Matteris, a great comedy show at the City Winery in Philadelphia.com. Go to citywinery.com, look under Joe Matteris, buy your tickets. It's always a great show when me and him perform. So I want to thank Ray Rodan. Check out rayb.com. I'm Steve Cooper, and you guys have a wonderful week. <laughs> <laughs>